I missed you guys. Troy looks more south of France than anyone with his purple Lacoste t-shirt. You're part French, correct? Mm -hmm. How do they hydrate? What kind of fucking question is that? How do they hydrate? <laughs> they have these little teeny glasses of water and getting water, it's like robbing a bank. And I like the French, let me be clear. This is not an anti-France or anti-French diatribe. Yeah, the wine is mostly water. So is the That's coffee. True. So is the afternoon coffee. I was surprised by how many young, very skinny, very attractive people were in like 90 degree heat, stuffing themselves full of like steaming hot muscles and food and smoking cigarettes at the same time. And I was like, I love that. It's I just incredible. It's incredible. Mm. My favorite European move is smoking through the like meats and cheeses course. That's yeah. when you know you're dealing with like next level stuff. Yeah, that's that's the real deal. Oh yeah. <laughs> Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, a show about patterns in media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Morrissey, founder of The Rebooting, and each week I'm joined by longtime media executive and investor Troy Young and Alex Schleifer, former head of design at Airbnb and CEO of Universal Entities. Dark patterns aren't exactly new. We are hardwired to manipulation, and design is no different. The digitization of everything has meant optimization has moved to the forefront, and taken to extremes, optimization quickly becomes dark patterns. The Federal Trade Commission apparently has seen enough. Last September, it signaled a move against dark patterns with a research report that aimed to show, quote, how companies are increasingly using sophisticated design practices known as dark patterns that can trick or manipulate consumers into buying products or services or giving up their privacy. The FTC went on to name such horrors as disguising ads to look like independent content, making it difficult to cancel subscriptions, or burying key terms or junk fees, and also tricking people into sharing their data. This sounds like just another day in the media business. And the war on dark patterns will continue because, well, it's a political winner. Nobody likes to feel ripped off, and politicians, like publishers, respond to incentives. Now, these reports are typically followed by enforcement actions, and the FTC took a pair of them this week. First, against Publishers Clearinghouse, one of the OG dark pattern mongers. And as Troy points out, a key agent of magazine publishers who relied on all kinds of rackets to build their rate base. And perhaps more interesting is where the FTC went next, on Wednesday accusing Amazon, of all people, of deceiving customers into subscribing to Amazon Prime, a membership program that has over 160 million members in the US alone. In the telling of FTC chair Lena Khan, Amazon tricked and trapped people into recurring subscriptions without their consent, not only frustrating users, but also costing them significant money. Wow, call it a cancel, Commissioner Khan. As was said to me last week, the media industry might collapse without dark patterns. Even banning auto renew would lead to carnage in its wake, as most subscription programs and media companies are premised on cut rate intro offers that auto renew at drastically higher prices. The reliance on dark patterns is, to my mind, part of a larger issue of adversarial business models that have proliferated in media, often seeming like a game of finding out what you can get away with before people revolt. As much as companies complain about regulations, they often can't help themselves to push the envelope as far as possible, particularly in a competitive and difficult industry like the media business. Tech isn't the only industry that uses sleight of hands and design and business processes. 
So this week, we discuss the reliance on dark patterns and how, regulation aside, new tools are arising to allow people to circumvent dark patterns altogether and leave the companies reliant on them standing on an increasingly shrinking ice flow, seemingly endlessly chipped away as the unearned advantages of many media companies relied on erode. And these companies are forced then to fight to earn distribution, just like everybody else. And the answer is that every day you have to go out and fight and earn your keep. I hope you enjoy this conversation. We took last week off and I think that we had good energy for this one. And as always, we appreciate your feedback and help in growing this podcast. So please do share it with a friend or colleague that you think might like it. And send me a note with your thoughts. I'm Brian at therebooting.com. Now onto the conversation. Is there an off chance that someone will figure out that cigarettes aren't that bad for you? <laughs> you got to hope. I don't know. People are still going analog cigarette in France, and it says you die, I believe, on the package. I think that's the translation. I mean, the package really? you have just like, you know, open heart surgery and shots of people. That's when you have a good product where you can put like you die on the front of it and people are like, I'll take, I'll take two. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's like it's Donald Trump seems to be that type of product. But no, Troy, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry. But it's great. That's why vacations are for, Troy. For cigarettes. For cigarettes? The, the problem is I go to Shelter Island and it's this place that you get away. And there's always a pack of cigarettes here. And I think of it as a kind of vacation space. But when you're like there every week, it's not really smoking on vacation. It's smoking. It's just smoking. That's when you have a life of leisure and it's 50% yeah. vacation. Right? You, should just, you should just work more. I haven't smoked in the last couple of weeks. I'm proud. I'm proud of you, man. It's good. You want to stay healthy. It's so weird. I used to be like a social smoker at Europe or whatever. And now I can't even imagine like having a cigarette. Yeah, like I can't even fathom it. I love it. I love it. Until, until you taste one again. <laughs> then you, you can't fathom why you ever stopped. It's crazy. So this is actually a good segue. To what? Into the first topic I want to talk about, which is dark patterns. So the FTC is on this campaign against dark patterns. Last year in September, they What's they the issued... definition of a dark pattern? Well, I want to turn to Alex for, to explain the dark pattern, what we're talking about. Basically, it's using design for evil. That's my layman's mm -hmm. definition. Yeah, I would say a dark pattern is a feature that is meant to trick or manipulate a user into an action that is beneficial for the business, but maybe not beneficial for the user. So all interface? Isn't that the job? Well, here's the thing. As I, I always told my team, let's not kid ourselves, all design is manipulation. You design the faucet a certain way so people understand where hot cold is. You design a door a certain way so that people intuitively push or pull it. All of it is there. I think the thing with dark patterns is that it's essentially a thing that you can do in a purchasing funnel, hide something, pre-check a check thing that subscribes you to a newsletter. And these types of things are, you know it when you see them. I'm kind of, for the first time, coming in defense of Amazon here because I think you're talking about the Amazon. Well, yeah, so basically the background to this is a year ago they issued a report, which is usually the FTC, the way the United States works with regulatory action. It doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican. They don't want to take action. They want industries to self-regulate as much as possible. And they're like, no, really, 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 really. And then the industries act shocked when they take action, like we're seeing with privacy. But anyway, with dark patterns, a year ago, they said this is coming. And they described dark patterns. The examples that they used were disguising ads to look like independent content, making it difficult for consumers to cancel subscriptions 
or charges. Imagine that in publishing. Jesus, does that include native advertising? Yeah, so they've, they've gone out after native advertising for a while. Nothing like what I did with the Curve Interactive at the Curve Cafe. I was all above board. They got what they paid for at this stage. There's a cutoff at some point. At some point, <laughs> no. Troy and I got to start charging no, you. I, this is a platform. <laughs> this is not a campaign. It's a platform. You're like uh, a walking dark pattern. <laughs> burying key terms or junk fees and tricking consumers into sharing their data. So the FTC this week took action and they went after Publishers Clearinghouse, which is the originator of dark patterns. It's not a feature. It's the product. It's a, just a dark pattern. You mean that million dollar huge check was a dark pattern symbol? You mean they didn't actually get that money? I had a girlfriend in college who worked for Publishers Clearinghouse during the summers, and she said she would be opening the mail. She said it was so sad because there was no Google Maps. So they put directions and drew maps because like people could get confused for the prize patrol because they thought the prize patrol might come and get lost and be like, oh, fuck it, we're just going to go to a different house. And so they I have no maps. fucking idea what this is. You don't know Publishers Clearinghouse? No. It supported the magazine industry for a long, long time. I grew up in a place where you couldn't even buy magazines. So, Oh, my God. Uh, you, you know. We're a farm in Zimbabwe. Where did you grow? I don't even want to know. What about <laughs> Donkey Care Monthly? That was not a magazine. It was all word of mouth. They put an old okay. man on the back of the <laughs> And you would just repeat the day's news. So Publishers Clearinghouse was a sweepstakes, and they said, you've got to, to enter the sweepstakes, you get more chances if you get these free magazines, which then I mean, obviously become not free. Anyway, they settled yeah. with the FTC for $18.5 but that was like an easy one. Then they went after Amazon. Yeah. Amazon, of all places, they went after them for Amazon Prime, which I thought was like almost universally beloved, and claimed that they violated the FTC Act and the Restore Online Shoppers Confidence Act. That sounds interesting. By using so-called dark patterns or deceptive design tactics meant to steer users towards a specific choice. Imagine that. That sounds awful. To push consumers to enroll in Prime without their consent. Yeah. Alex, heal thyself. I have a lot of thoughts, but I mean, what do you think, Troy? I want to know which side you're on. Wait, why are you? That, that's the lamest thing. You know, Troy is going to come I in. I hear from Troy. I, I miss, uh, I miss you guys. What? I miss you guys. I want to. Hear, I, I think it's a bigger. Yeah, I it's a bigger issue. I like how Brian framed this publisher's clearinghouse thing because the magazine industry they sort of outsourced subscriber acquisition. It was really distant from the business. They created an expectation with consumers that you could subscribe to a magazine or a, a group of magazines for like $7.99 a year and that you would get three magazines for that price. What those showed up as in the publishing world were like, in many cases, negative remit circulation, which meant that you didn't make your money back on those subscribers. You were subsidizing them. And you were subsidizing them because the ad business in the magazine world was so good for so long. So some magazines had positive distribution dynamics, magazines like The New Yorker that people paid a fairly hefty subscription price for. Many like fashion magazines, for example, that cost a lot to print and actually had very kind of flaccid subscriber dynamics but were subsidized, except that you made so much money off ad page rates that that was fine. The business worked. So you didn't make money on subs. You made money on advertising. And the best magazines mm. had the triple threat, like Cosmo, that sold on newsstand, had a very vibrant subscriber base, and had really, really good advertising, most of which came from the beauty industry. So a magazine like Cosmo is wildly, wildly profitable, particularly in America. 
So it was a racket, to your point, Brian, all the tricks that existed. And what they called them is not just the category of publisher clearinghouse was called, they were called agents. And they would basically hand you subscribers. You could buy subscribers from agents that would go out and use all these kind of nefarious tactics, as you called the dark patterns, to pull in subscribers. But what's more interesting, I think, is the entire media industry exists or kind of worked because there were all these traps that locked consumers into subscription mechanisms. What I think is interesting about the time we're living in now is as soon as you actually have to earn a a reader or a subscriber, either by selling them a subscription or getting them to read something or getting them on an email newsletter list, suddenly the business gets really, really hard and the numbers get a lot smaller. And the notion of these kind of $10 CPMs, it becomes really hard to make the business work. And that's why things like SEO, search engine optimization, is so important because it was one of the remaining easy sources of traffic. Social was there for a while and then search came in. But like direct traffic from a motivated consumer that was electing to go to a media property was a real small part of virtually everybody's distribution. And now this is the problem with streaming you got to earn every subscriber and then you got to keep it filled with content. And the economics of doing that really undermine the business versus cable when cable was like a tax. Everybody just had it. Mm-hmm. The thing I don't get is like that magazine stuff. Isn't the racket really, can the advertisers be pissed off? Because they're paying for an audience that probably doesn't want to read the magazine. That's just getting these junk magazines. Yeah. So that they're adding kind of, the, this the is a victim. Padding their e- everything in the media, it's not, it's not a scam. It's a conspiracy. I mean, I just got back from Cannes. I mean, that's the... <laughs> Troy, this is the the publisher media side. I just got back from Cannes. It's the ultimate ultimate conspiracy. It's a good question, Alex. And I think the way it really works is if you were paying a $20 CPM for a premium publication, you realized that a lot of it was wasted. And in reality, you were probably paying double that or triple that. But it was just a lie we all told ourselves and it was fun. I would like to get back to the Amazon stuff, but to me, this whole side of things just generally feels like a racket. The product's a racket. I think the advertisers are getting They're not getting screwed, screwed over. over. Well, sure. I mean, I even remember like the magazines used to pan out and say, well, for each issue we sell, we actually have three sure. people reading yeah. it because it sits in some like but dentist's it's just office the sy- or something. It's the way it's, the it, system come on. like come on. was ar- architected. It's the same as like when Europeans freak out that, oh, an appendectomy costs like $78,000 in the United States. Nobody is paying $78,000. I get that American Express travel magazine every month, and I'm sure they make a pretty good yeah destinations. I've never fucking read the thing. I go on the internet for my stuff, you know. But I'm sure I get counted. Oh well, then there's anyway. Why don't we move to Amazon, which I think is more interesting. So, (laughs) I mean, talk about bullshit. That uh, is like transparently. So so, so you just we're just gonna make shit up. Let me maybe then pivot yeah. into the Amazon one, because I think the Amazon one, I don't know what their motivations are. It's a weird target because Prime is such a universally loved product. And all of the things that they seem to complain about is very welcome to the internet, including stuff I think for when you try to cancel it, it'll try to redirect you to not canceling, which is the funnel. Oh, if you cancel, you'll you'll lose access to this. These are all kind of growth funnels. I, I think Amazon is very much experiment based, so they've optimized all this shit. But I think overall they have a good product and I think it's hard to buy it by mistake 
Most people love it. Very high customer satisfaction surveys. And you can cancel it easier than most things. And Amazon is generally good at refunding you money. When yeah, if this wasn't Amazon and this wasn't like a large tech so it's a company, weird they target. wouldn't have gone after him. I mean, come on. Like, I was talking with someone in the publishing industry. It's, it's fucking who, crazy. Uh, yeah. It's because they want to they take on Amazon yeah. and they couldn't find another vector of it. But I do think the larger that, point about the dark patterns is a lot of media is propped up by what you could call dark patterns. New York Times writes about dark patterns are terrible. And I hate to do the thing where it's like, well, look at yourself because a lot of times the reporters have no control over it but this is on their editorial page and try to cancel the new york times you will run through a saves gauntlet you have to call to cancel which should be illegal it is in california it's it's going to be illegal everywhere yeah, but if absolutely. the ftc even said auto renews no good you got to get people to affirmatively say that they want to keep their subscription collapse i mean that would affect their business overnight Troy, doesn't it you're just making me think my head's spinning. Like it's kind of everywhere that one expectation is set and then you as a consumer kind of end up just shrugging and paying more. It happens when you renovate your kitchen and the contractor says, well, that's not included and your kitchen's ripped apart. I think that this thing that I was mentioning earlier, which is it's one of the sort of hard new realities of the media business, nobody canceled their cable. And if you did cancel your cable, it was extremely difficult. And if you wanted to pick a la carte and say, I just want ESPN, but I don't want CNN, you couldn't even do it. So the whole thing, now what I can do is I can watch a season of anything on a streamer and then cancel it immediately after. Mm -hmm. The whole new mechanism of managing consumers through these kind of DTC relationships is not good for media. It's terrible for media. And so, yeah, if you could cancel your newspaper subscription or your New York Times subscription willy-nilly, it would be bad for business. And the economics of the CPM thing that Alex was lamenting a second ago, it's just another sort of understood layer of bullshit that exists in the industry. It's just like, yeah, okay, you're getting a $10 CPM, but the effect of CPM is really, you know, 50. And that's just kind of the dance we do. Meanwhile, you're on YouTube trying to be like a content creator and you're being tracked granularly for each CPM and each True. fucking second that you're doing. And you have somebody sitting up top of Hearst Tower going like, yeah, it's about 20. Oh, it's about going, he's getting personal. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, was pretty I mean, not you, but you know, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Just talking about regulation, I think the Amazon stuff is like a red herring, it's bullshit. But I do feel like regulation is important. It's actually potentially good for those companies. Regulation can kind of level the playing field a little bit. A lot of these decisions are actually made as like defensive maneuvers. So for example, surprise you didn't ask me about fees, and I'm not officially talking about fees on Airbnb or whatever. But the fact of the matter is that at some point, somebody's going to open Expedia and Kayak and Airbnb and look at prices side by side. And if one company is forced to show a total price and the other company isn't, the, the, the price comparison thing's not going to work. Now, if everybody's forced to do the same thing, then fine, right? Fine. If everybody's forced to allow for easy canceling or even pausing of a subscription of any media property, then fine, it levels the playing field. I think right now the problem is that in a competitive environment, you can't make certain rules for certain people because the stuff that Amazon's doing is not worse than anybody else. It's yeah. fucking better than most. And so I'm all pro-regulation because it helped, I think. How did you end up thinking about what that a dark pattern at is. Airbnb? Or just in general, is there like ethics courses at design school about what is optimization and where it becomes a quote-unquote dark pattern? There's no fucking design school. Oh, you learned I your did. design on the streets? <laughs> the streets of Zimbabwe? or I didn't finish high school, man. <laughs> it was just me and chalk tablets. 
there's a lot of talk about the ethics of design because design is powerful, right? Interface is powerful because you can manipulate people. And I do think it's all manipulation. But the thing that gets missed is oftentimes like, you know, the conversations are at, at Airbnb and we've had many about fees and how we display them. You know, you're running a global business and turns out that the things that seem simple at first aren't so simple because comparison shopping becomes harder because we do research and turns out that a certain way of showing something confuses the hell out of people. So it's really hard to get right. At least when I was there, I know that there was a lot of intention from everyone to try to fix this problem in a way that wouldn't hurt the hosts and get consumers confused. And, you know, did we do a good enough job? No, but I think at the end of the day, Oh, is this that the cleaning fees? Is, yeah, like or any type of fees. Or the I was checking out of my general. Airbnb just yesterday and was terrified. I was terrified. I was like, oh my God, I got to do my chores. I got to get the recycling all sorted and get it. They're working against that. The thing you have to consider is that in this case, Airbnb is kind of a weird case because you have like millions of, I mean, it's, oh, all it's not all individuals. Right? Kind of the prices, There's a lot of people who are just, they're unregulated hotels. Come on, sharing economy. Sure. That was a dark pattern that... <laughs> but what I'm saying, you can't set the prices for most people. So it's actually pretty tricky to get that right. You know, when you open My Airbnb didn't have hot water. I'd say, do you guys take cold showers? Guys, I'm in an Airbnb right now. It's got 14 feet ce- ceilings in the dead center of Vienna. It's incredible. But it turns out my fellow Austrians, and I'm half Austrian, have a terrible taste in furniture. Well, if you have hot I mean, water, at least the host here. Hey, hey, Brian, you know what? One thing, this is a little bit of a jumping off point on the interface thing. Yeah. but Troy's opening a new tab. Yeah. I like what Troy, Troy Liz is interested First of all, for the record, <laughs> I hate Airbnbs. I'm glad of you're Airbnb. Of course Airbnb's you do. Where, where do you stay in Como? Do you not stay at Airbnb? Well, I stay at a friend's house in Como, but I'd rather <laughs> stay at a hotel. But hey, guys, let me broaden this a little bit because there's another <laughs> item. I think it came up in the news this week. Mm-hmm. And it just made me think about, so these dark patterns emerge and are something, maybe I think the regulator's attention was misplaced. For the record, Amazon Prime is the product of the century. It created an incredible mode around that company. And as a consumer, I love it. But having said that, the whole world is moving to interfaces, right? So the opportunity to trick a consumer inside of a series of buttons and windows and text and small print and all that increases. And what it made me think is that last week, I, I think I mentioned this to you guys. I, are, you de- are you taking this to AI? No, I'm not. But just go with Sorry. me here, Alex. So my mother was distressed when my son and I went to visit her because she couldn't, speaking of dark patterns, she couldn't watch the local news. As you know, you get the local news on the cable box. That's how she does it. Someone had given her an LG TV. The LG TV hijacked her interface and she didn't know how to move between the LG TV interface to fast channels and the like back to her cable box because she had to use this incredibly difficult input switching thing on the LG TV, her hands shaking. She's trying to use the pointer on the LG remote. She's like, I don't know how to do this. Basically, she couldn't move from one HDMI input to another one and through that navigate two interfaces and two very overly complicated remotes to get her local news. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's There's a battle emerging right now for interface to your television, Mm -hmm. right? And the OEM people want to take it. They want to take it because they don't make any money on hardware and they make lots of money on advertising through fast channels. It is a material shift in the media ecosystem that someone new is going to control as people cut the cord, you turn your TV on, somebody presents you with content choices, be it fast channels or, or movie rental options or whatever it is. Now, there's another one going on. 
Because as you know, the car is just becoming a bunch of screens. And there was some controversy now today that car manufacturers are in the same position where the actual thing, the cars are becoming increasingly commoditized and their ability to offer services through these interfaces like heated seats are a subscription or heated you know, seats are a subscription. I don't know who it was that they're starting are you to do kidding that. Starting. Yeah. No, no, no. But all to, of these services like, that you take for granted that are just features of a car will be. Starting. Well, they're not services. Well, I mean, no, they're just hardware enabled or whatever, right? And there's controversy because Apple and Google, who make the kind of interface layer for most things that we use today, want the car. They have Apple Play in, in wow. the car, play in the car. And <laughs> they then don't want to build the car. They just want to make the money. No, they want the software for the yeah. car. There's a battle happening because car makers can't do it. And because Apple and Google are really good at it. And consumers want to drag in all their preferences, their maps, their contact, their phone, etc. Their music into their vehicle. And so there's a little war brewing between these two people that want to own the interface of the car. And if you're left at the end of the day, just making the like car itself and the interface is controlled by someone else, you're losing all of the economic value of the machine. That's right? the Elon so Musk. It's fucking sad because it's... There's warring interfaces. By the way, fuck Elon Musk, but the Tesla is the only car that has a decent user interface that you can buy today. A hundred percent. One of the other things I like about France is that like you get people who drive up like in Teslas like for Uber and trying to get in or out of Tesla is like nightmare. Okay, door handles maybe. Yeah, the yeah. door handles. Like, why can't they just, it's okay. It's standardized. Like, it's fine. Troy just rolled his eyes. I just want to like, unless you have a YouTube version. No, it's just I'll just, like, I'll just speak no, up. Notes from the curmudgeon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got my shit ready. I already Where said are I want to be, I, whatever. I already said I want to be. No. Grandpa pants. Andy Ernie. <laughs> The thing that's happening with the car interface, which is really worrying because it's really made TVs very shit. I'm pretty up to date as to which TVs you can buy. And it is today nearly impossible to buy a TV that isn't utter bullshit. I was in a Airbnb just a week ago that had an older TV that wasn't smart yet. And that thing fucking turned on in like a fraction of a second. You could plug in an HDMI and it didn't do all the scanning stuff. It didn't like pop up all the stuff. And it's scary to think that that's what's going to happen to cars. But I think unfortunately for car manufacturers, people... People love CarPlay. Oh, yeah. And people love Android Auto. Only thing you want is to plug Who your fucking Who uses the navigation system on cars? I asked this to like my parents, and they're the only ones who use it. <laughs> they're even more curmudgeonly than I am because they're significantly older. <laughs> I was interviewing with a couple of car companies at some point, you know, some advisory roles. And, you know, it just seemed like really hard for car companies to do anything decent with the interface. Like you buy $150,000 cars and the, the thing moves like it's essentially the power of like an $180. It's funny because this is a problem for a lot of these industrial professions. And I think it actually is like news in some ways. My brother does, he just retired, I guess, in quotes from Intel and he was at Intel forever. And he was saying how the car companies with the chip brand it was all basically, they had industrial supply chains that were, they're not used to acting like technology companies at all. They were treating the chips the same way they treat like a carburetor or something. And it just does not work at all. Here's the thing, it's going to make the servicification of everything, where every company is trying to become a service company. Features that you could buy as add-ons to a car that would be factory installed are now 
pre-installed and you just turn them on using a subscription service, it's going to make so many products shitty. Which product got better from that? Photoshop. I think everybody's seeing iPhone. Well, the thing is, everybody wants to be Apple. And everybody noticed like, hey, here's Apple. They did this thing. And every button that anybody presses on Apple, they make a cut. That's what we want. We want to build an iPhone on wheels. But when you kind of, at some point, drive down to the pizza store to buy a pizza, we make a cut of that. I don't know what the fuck they want to do. The, The problem is they're not Apple. Nobody is. And everybody's going to fuck it up. The only people who's ever made interfaces that they can control fully in the yeah. car is just like really Tesla. And it's a good one. You know? you know, one of the things that kept coming up at the Curve Cafe at the New Attention Economy last week was that... <laughs> <laughs> Speaking about trying to get a makeup bug out Those of it. They're valued partners. This is no campaign. <laughs> was retail media networks. And how, because again, they control an interface, if you will, and they see how much money is to be made in search. Let's be real. It's a lot of it is is search and they have data. And there was something like there's 70 retail media networks now. Everyone is piling in to try to get at, for all the people hate advertising, everyone wants a piece of it. Because it's free money, if it works. Yeah, straight to the bottom But it's, I actually think it does motivate darker patterns, more anti-user behavior and product. I don't think that there are many great advertiser-supported products in the world. The last one was the magazine. I mean, oh my God. I'm glad you brought up retail media, Brian, because I love media and that's where I want to spend my time, but... Between not being able to kind of rope consumers into a relationship more easily to retail media is like existential for media. Because the world is all interfaces, the people that control the shopping interfaces are now in a much better position to monetize you as a consumer. And every dollar that goes to retail media comes out of the pocket of media. Well, I don't know about that. Well, okay, maybe it comes out of the pocket of Google, which already came out of the pocket of media. But wait, some a lot. A lot of this is coming from shopper marketing budgets. Whatever. I mean, like shelf takers or whatever they're called and end caps. It's a much more, (laughs) it's a much bigger business than that ever was. Well, that's what I was asking Kirk McDonald, Group M North America CEO who came to the Curve Cafe about this. Because I was like, okay, there's two twin areas that are growing fast. Because like digital advertising is a mature industry. It is not growing like it used to. And there are new entrants in there. It's not just Google and Facebook and Amazon even and, and Apple. It's a lot of this retail media. And then it's connected TV. And those two areas are now becoming increasingly entwined too. And that money comes from somewhere. And to me, where a lot of it is coming out of display. And guess guess who relies on display? Text publishers, text news publishers too. Yeah, it's not good. So you're saying people are putting... Just for the laymen's out there, because we do have like, you know, four people who are not in advertising that that listen. My brother-in-law Bill listens. You're you're saying that the advertising dollars are going into these advertising units that exist natively in some sort of platform that's like Amazon or Apple, not going on to like, you know, know, Brian's blog. In Nice, Côte d'Azur Airport, so you could go to Cannes. You open up Uber and it was like, welcome to Cannes. And they're going to be a big ad business. Right. And they have a a lot of data. They know where you're going. And then you're going down the road and they're like, oh, you should go to Mr. Pizza, which is a great 
great brand, by the way, Mr. Pizza, one of my favorite French brands. And you can't compete with that really as a text-based particular Oh my God, man. My phone died. I used my wife's phone to call an Uber. I open up the phone. I press a button for the Uber and I get a -a Net-A-Porter ad, beautifully presented, nothing around it, right in the interface, totally targeted to her. They know about her. They know how much she spends. They know where she lives. I'm telling you, that revenue would have went to Vogue or Elle. It's hard to compete. This is a terrible thing for media. Retail media definitely takes dollars away from media. And you add that to the rush to ring subscribers out of the market when it gets increasingly difficult. There's just so few winners and so many losers. And then what? And then we go back to Brian. Oh, we're going to be sort of, we're going to do activations at the Curb Cafe, or we're going to do like an email newsletter. It's great. Do it. It's awesome. But like, you're going to need a massive adjustment in CPMs and you're going to need real material subscription fees. And these are going to be $20 million businesses. They're tiny. Yeah. I'll take a $20 million business though. Let's be clear. It's a, it's a one bird. <laughs> yeah. I've got to lean operation, but that's why I think one of the brighter futures of media is on the niche side. And I think the individual creators, there were a lot of creators in can this year, which is another sort of competitor really to establish. That's media another companies. vector. That's an assault on the old industry for sure. And there's different economics that go on when you don't have a lot of that infrastructure layer that a lot of these media companies have. So challenging times. Scale used to be the advantage that these old players had, and now it is a huge disadvantage, basically. I mean, yes, of course, even this fucking podcast, right? If you wanted to promote your new to-do app, would you do it here or would you just pay Apple to just like put it at the top of the search feed when you type to-dos? Like, who's going to fucking now this is who's getting gonna, worse. What I want to say, Brian, what, Alex, I, what I'm when, trying to say, Can you Brian, do me a favor? Brian, what I'm this trying is to say, a dark pattern. why the you fuck would you want to buy an advertising? Well, speaking of dark patterns... Why would you want to buy advertising on this podcast when you can advertise on so many more native? Okay. I was, uh, by the way, I uh, was just at Bloomberg Media. Okay. And two interesting things happened. I was talking to their their leadership team. They had a leadership summit and I was interviewed by Julia Bazer, who is the chief product officer there and who is a loyal listener to this podcast. And this is what, I didn't actually tell you guys this. So this is what Julia told me. She said, like you said, this is on stage too. Little stage, but it was a stage. And she said, what are you doing with people versus algorithms? And this is the podcast Brian is doing with Troy Young and what's that other guy's name? And I was like, finally, because you've been getting like, what do they call it? Rizzed up so much that I was like, I'm glad. I said, I'm going to bring this up on the podcast I'm doing like right after this. Julia, I did mean it. And then she said, but he's my favorite one after you. So that Troy would by implication. Wow. (laughs) But she didn't say that. I'm just saying. She didn't say that? You made that up? No, no, no. She didn't I mean, She didn't say that you were her least favorite, but by implication, if... Yeah, I mean, by yeah. just sheer logic. You so the, the second thing trail. is... Well... She doesn't remember my name, but, she, but Troy, what are we trying to say is that she doesn't even know who I am, but well, she prefers but me. It was her. clearly biased <laughs> because she had Brian next to her on stage. What was yeah, she yeah. going to say? 
It would have been rude. Yeah. And so, then, who knows? Who, what's her name again, Brian? Because yeah. I really want to. Julia Baser. She's she's great. She's be at she'd Huff like Pro. me more if she got to know me, perhaps. Yeah. And also, by the way, by the way, my dad thinks they're the best part of the podcast. Thanks, Dad. Hey, hey Brian. The other thing is, can we, Alex? Can when when we send this to edit this week, can we edit? Can we beep out Curve Cafe? Put a beep over anytime <laughs> it said that. That would be fun. And also, yeah. All because actually, that- that's a good dark pattern. Because then I can go back to Curve and be like, Troy insisted that we beep out the thing, but for an extra fee, we can unbeep yeah. the Curve Cafe. A gentleman came up to me and said, "How is everything at the Curve Cafe? You've been mentioning it nonstop." He was also a listener. <laughs> That's amazing. Did you see how the Reddit communities revolted against Reddit by turning somebody's communities X-rated? So maybe that's what we should do, Troy. Just get just really nasty whenever he mentions the Curve Cafe. But by the way, what is behind the the whole... I understand the Reddit revolt. Is this just like they realize that there is no way they're going to get to the valuation that they need to get at unless they... Yeah. By, by the way, it's a communication nightmare. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. They could have had everything they wanted without creating what they did. They've always had trouble controlling the communities, but in some way it is also something that they have that allows them to moderate these massive communities with very little cost because you have lots of people. So here, here's a crazy a idea. Work. CTC, cut the check. What is it with these tech platforms thinking they never have to pay people, that everyone, they get paid, but they don't want to pay anyone? That's the whole thing, right? That's the way they're coming across. That executive team is coming across as, we provide the platform, what the fuck are you guys whining about? I think that is a massive Oh, they're just mistake. providing the value. Yeah. Hey, Brian, it's yeah. like Alex and Something I provide crazy. the value on this podcast exactly. and you shill. I do not shill. That's offensive and inaccurate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I educate and I inspire. What do yeah, they, like they say? The amount of bullshit that was uttered in can is like amazing. I think all platforms are antagonists stick to their creators. You know, YouTube is better at it because they've gone through the ringer more than others. But, you know, you talk to some folks there, they see all the people posting on their system as just a pain in yeah, the ass. Yeah, demonetize you know? and all this. The thing so, is, like, that's why I, I right. blame Troy for being, like, briefly Web3 curious. The one part that I did find very attractive was the idea of the people who are creating on a platform owning the platform. Like, I think that strikes me as an anti-dark pattern and just. Hey, you know which platform allows us to do that? The last free platform on the internet, my friend. RSS feeds with podcasts. The last free oh, wow. bastion Dave of freedom. Weiner. This is why we all love it. If you mention RSS enough, he like pops up. <laughs> but this is why it's also impossible to scale. But we are, I don't know, I think it's worth listening to the Vergecast, the last episode. We are potentially seeing with Instagram doing an activity pub, Twitter clone, and a lot of these shifts happening. We're probably seeing maybe a, a move towards more open and less controlled platforms that, because it's really hard to make money as a creator. No creator is making money, which is why most of them try to punch themselves to death in fake boxing yeah. matches. I think it's going to just be like, how do you get attention in the future and how do you control your brand and your audience and people might see that yeah it takes you know 10 times longer to grow a podcast but it's also but it's also in the interest a lot of times like tech 
companies have woken up to the idea that if you push it too far, you completely eliminate ecosystems. So there's more openness to sharing like the spoils with the people who are creating the content. And I look at with AI, they're going to cut deals with the LLMs in order to get access to high quality content. Because I don't know if you've read this, I forget where it was, but there's this idea, I think it was MIT Tech Review, that basically the LLMs are going to be training themselves on like synthetic content. And it's just going to be like bullshit on bullshit on bullshit on bullshit. And it's... Oh, yeah. It's kind of data inbreeding. Generations in, you'll have, you know, the hamster with three. <laughs> eyeballs. And 99.9% .9 of the internet is going to be generated and Google is going to be kind of running, you know, it's a human centipede situation that's kind of being created on the internet. So what I feel is there's going to be a huge push for these creators to break out of a lot of these systems, break away, become much more individualized, build businesses that don't require the amount of scale to survive. Right now, if you want to scale a YouTube channel, you got to start at some point hiring people, posting fucking 30 videos a week. If new systems come up, it allows people to build like five, $10 million businesses with two of their friends. These things are going to end up winning potentially. Don't you think, Troy? What? I don't know. Troy's like, uh, he looks like he's smelled a fart. What he's happened? either mad or thinking. You, you don't I like my thinking, take? Uh, I'm trying to think if you... <laughs> yeah, it's hard to tell. How this sort of snake eating its tail problem resolves itself. And Hum I called it a human centipede because that's the image I want. It's AI-powered advertising. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I thought I had something to say, but I don't. New topic. <laughs> Next question. The economics are starting to not make sense for too many people in media, even the creators, because nobody makes fucking money on TikTok. Very few people make money on YouTube. 1% yeah. of people make any money on podcasts. You know, it's not like it's a thriving So play this out. So I was talking with a creator manager. She has a business where she represents a ton of creators and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's a great business to be in now with all this like going. I've known her for a few years. I'm like, it's protected from all the AI stuff. She's like, not really. What's going to happen is they're going to train. There's going to be synthetic creators that are created on creator content and are just tweaked a little bit and they'll be good enough too. And then they're going to be competing with infinite creators, few of whom are real. Yeah, but I think that's undermining the value of following somebody who's real and, you know, has a life. Ever since we've been into rock stars and musicians, we've wanted to know what they do outside of music. We don't just consume the output. We try to get closer to a person. So I think the act of being a person will still help. We don't only buy the performance. And I think that's often overseen. And you have a lot of these kind of AI shows. We're saying all of our content will be generated, all of our heroes will be generated, or all of our boyfriends and girlfriends will be generated. And sure, there's going to be lonely people fucking robots, like, for sure. That's definitely going to happen. But I do think the individual remains incredibly valuable. I wonder if we get a new type of this sort of sticky AI mythology persisting, meaning AI is really good for, like, evergreen content. It's good for how do I boil an egg type content. And I wonder if because the machine just kind of feeds itself, whether we just get stuff that gets gets stuck in the loop. Mm. In other words, it's almost like evergreen folklore that persists because it's stuck in a perpetual loop in the machine telling you to do something one way when there's maybe another way to do it. And it becomes harder to break, yeah. our, you know, to kind of break that link and come up yeah. with new ideas because the machine is feeding everybody the same old ideas. Oh, yeah. Which actually happens yeah. happens in culture already, right? Like 
isn't there a thing where like every third TikTok video is like, did you know you were eating a banana wrong? And they'll show you a new way of peeling a banana. And you're like, why the fuck did yeah. we do it the other way? Right? There's always like some lost knowledge out there that's like, this is how you use a cup. <laughs> and so, and it's just going to get worse. I think a hopeful case for this is exactly that. I mean, this is called people versus algorithms, right? And I think like a conceit of it is that algorithms have flattened everything on the internet and media and culture because you have to serve the algorithms, you have to optimize to the algorithm and everyone is optimizing as the same sort of data. And so everything starts to look and feel the same. And so maybe a hopeful case to this is that this flattening becomes so extreme that in order to get any attention whatsoever, real humans will get like really weird. I think that's true. It is is happening. It is happening. I mean, I, I just want to just put this out there. Like it is happening with Gen Z. I think Gen Z is fashion-wise, music-wise, culture-wise, taste-wise, has exploded. Yeah, they're Modern cool, culture is completely I like out. them a lot. Like, I what, Gen Z yeah. is cool? They're super cool. Yeah, yeah, Gen Z. They're way yeah, 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 yeah. They're way more individualistic. Yeah, they're cool. way more risk-taking. They're just cool. Are they cool? It's is like, it just because millennials were so not cool? No, or? it's like, no, I want to no, dress no. like we I want to dress like Gen Z. I dress like a child. Gen X was cool. But Gen X was still like kind of, the, still we lost. still, we followed a very specific prescribed uh, that's true. definition of what yeah. culture was telling us to do. And maybe we got into little groups and somebody would say like, oh, I'm more into punk and somebody would say I'm more into whatever the fuck else. But Gen Z it feels got. like, but Gen Z feels so kind of, has opened up about like the gender and sexuality and fashion and music it's fucking great man gen z is the best yeah. generation it is yeah. it is super cool i've been i'm hanging out with gen z's right now actually i just picked them up from the ferry oh yeah cool how does your kids or <laughs> did you just pick up some just random just <laughs> random <laughs> tufts no my daughter brought some friends okay, out right. and i just i went to the grocery store with them it's fun to figure out what gen z like to eat too what do they like to eat hot pockets do they the kids no. still eat hot pockets they're fucking great no they're more healthy than that Oh, yeah. Okay, but here's the other thing that I wouldn't mind picking your brain on. Is that one of the things that certainly AI doesn't solve for is the kind of access to the new. New meaning that's what drives media. New meaning new culture, but really more new news. So when something breaks now, I thought this was interesting. When Mm. news in Russia breaks and you don't feel like going to Twitter, where do you go? Where do you get the news? the newest news, the hottest, newest, most recent news. Because I would say Twitter's even become shit for it. Well, that's you know? what... Let's go to the New York Times. Didn't you do that during the during the coup? Like CNN, yeah. this is what CNN was made for. Right. So you do. You go to New York uh, Times. I go to Reddit, actually. you can go to CNN if you can tolerate it. The problem with the New York Times is it's built on a model of always on, which means that the signal to noise is terrible if you're a modern media consumer. They drone on about the same thing endlessly, and it's punishing. So if you want to get news kind of on your terms, CNN sucks. And if you want the latest, 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 New York Times isn't bad, but it's not the latest. I like that live story format they have if, for breaking true, development. But if stories. I think that you probably were getting quicker, more on the ground, up-to-date news off TikTok this time around than you were anywhere else. Oh, come on. I'm not kidding you. Try it, man. Are you trying to suck up to your Gen Z house guests? No, I'm just saying that. What are you calling the Russian coup? Was it the TikTok coup? What I'm saying is TikTok is a legit, fast, emerging news outlet. And if you don't go to Twitter, you can. No way. 
If you start selecting videos or watching videos on Russia, the algorithm responds incredibly quickly and you get some really interesting... <laughs> is the experience true? Is it that you'll have some sort of videos on Russia and you'll see a, just like, like, you know, 50 tanks driving up some, some street towards Moscow and you'll flip and you'll see somebody popping a giant zit? Well, that to me is... Is that that's a good that, Gen Z is or, pimple or some, positive. Or some I know this, lick, no, licking, this much. Licking <laughs> its, I find that really satisfying, Alex, for the record. No, no. But here's the thing, though, Troy. This is like Elon Musk getting lucky more than anything. But I think Twitter could become a massive source of great live AI-generated content to tell you what's going on somewhere. You tap directly into a live feed of 100 million reporters updating the news. And if you could kind of contextualize it and frame it in a certain way, it would be great. And I got to tell you, man, I am completely comfortable with reading AI news already. I'm using Artifact every day. I have not read an article that I, I just like abstract, just fucking boom. Boom. I need to get behind Boom. Alex on this point. Okay. So ever since you started talking, when you rudely dismissed me when I sent you that nice long article and you said summarize. Oh, I didn't say that. Alex said. I thought you were Alex said it. it. But, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this, like in how inefficient we are everywhere. So I was looking at a job spec at Tesla for AI engineers because someone had sent me this page. And it was a paragraph that said, basically, come here and build this great ship with us. It was three sentences. And I just was thinking about signal to noise in media. It wasn't the typical job spec. Here's all the things that you need to be qualified to do and all the bullshit that fills it in yeah. that someone wrote in some department that no one reads. And also, I've been thinking about how much time I waste reading all the stuff between the stuff I actually remember in articles. And I have a button. I forget what it's called. It's right here. It's called Wise One. I have. I don't know if it's a good one or not. Wise One is a plugin on Chrome that summarizes any article, mm. and it's extremely good. What I've noticed is, ever since we started talking about this, Alex, on artif what's it called again? Artifact. A lot of the times the button Artifact. is grayed out, like it's great. Somehow somebody in the biz dev group at Conde said, you can take our articles, but you can't summarize uh, us. Dark patterns, and, right? way to bring it back. So, yeah, so, yeah, so they're yeah. not allowing you, they're forcing you to read their entire fucking article so that you can take in the display advertising inside mm -hmm. of it. But mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. I use this Chrome extension on New York Times articles, on New Yorker yeah. articles. I use it all the time. I think people's time is precious. And this industry, a lot of the standards of how long things are is A, the motivations of writers to try to impress themselves with flourish. Two, people used to be paid per word. Like, that's where this all started. Oh, yeah. And because they wanted to fill more and more pages, so they needed to put more and more ads. Fuck, that guilty as charged, is man. In guilty. dark pattern, my friend. Dark pattern. That's a dark pattern. Well, I'm not even selling advertising. Pay per word that. is... Yeah, is, I write too much. R.I.P. Those were good days. It is my hypothesis that once people get used to this, it's game over. But we're talking about... Chrome extensions, man, fucking Siri will do that for us in a minute, you know? Or there'll be some sort of thing where we say, hey, summarize the news in my style. For me, it'll be fucking Jeff Bridges reading me like news around. But the there thing. needs to be an economic function. Otherwise, I'm sorry, the robots are not going to put aside the all in podcast ridiculousness. The robots are not going to go out and report the news. That's just idiotic. It's not going to be on the blockchain. Sorry, Balaji. No, that's stupid. But people always will. Troy's talking about TikTok. Troy's talking about 
yeah. Twitter. Uh, I was talking about Twitter and Reddit. All this is like consumer journalism thing. There's always somebody who wants to do a take. There's always somebody who's got to record us. Yeah. A lot of the CNN I've seen was somebody recording the screen and posting it on Twitter. Like everybody wants to be in media. That is the problem with media. You know, one of the big mistakes of news was reporting Twitter. I don't know how many like articles in the previous generation were really just a series of embedded tweets. The platforms know this and in many ways the media companies knew this because they used to pay. The content creators have always been paid shit and abused because everybody in media always seems to complain. But honestly, like making content is fucking fun. Most people want to do it. And if a hundred people do it for 10 minutes a day, then you have a newsroom. <laughs> Sorry. Like it, it happened. I, I once had a TV show short lived in some country. And <laughs> I um, feel like we need to spend more time. I said, this. like, I'm not going to Go do on. this anymore. <laughs> it was about the internet. I used to have a ponytail then. I said, like, I feel like is I'm that just on getting YouTube underpaid. Alex? It's a lot of, yeah. This is a lot of our work. premium content. Maybe we don't have to run sponsorship. Yeah. I'm not disclosing anything. And it used to be a lot of work. And I told the producer, I think that's too much work for me. I'm not making enough money. And she literally told me, like, most people would do this for free. And here's the thing with media. Most people would do this for free. And the problem is that it's really crappy quality and hard to find until you have an AI that becomes everyone's editor Great and fact-checking room. I think you lose some of the high-end analysis where people spend their lifetime becoming experts in a vertical and all that stuff. But yeah. Oh, sure. It's not going to be good. I mean, it's definitely yeah. not going to be a 3,000-word expose as to why Zelda is an important video game. But, you know, it'll be, it'll be enough. That. That's the problem. Well, good it'll enough is enough. good enough. That's the, the, a lot of people don't want to hear it no matter what field they're in. People don't have time. But like, honestly, let's turn around to design. Good enough is good enough. All the stuff that designers, because they're into the craft and I appreciate Mm -hmm. that. I appreciate all craft. I honor it and whatnot. A lot of the stuff, it's like, oh, give me a break. Come on, just move it. Like everyone has dealt with that with design. I love it. I love it. I love it. I honor it. I honor it. Give me a break. Well, come on. We've all dealt with it, right? The precious. But give me know. a break. And every every profession has that. It's not unique to any. And particularly, I think any craft has that. Says the writer. Well, I'm just. I'm just saying that writers are are not unique in any yeah. way, shape, or form. That's it. Yeah. No. I, no, I mean, I agree. I think I agree. You know, and good enough is good enough. We have a good product. Do we have a good product? Oh, yes. I got a good product. Great. A friend of mine came over the other night and he had just been at some mall on his way out to Shelter Island and he giddily ran into the house with his kids and showed me his new toaster. And he said, I bought the best toaster on the market. Mm. And it's kind of hippie-ish household, but he has to do stuff like this on the side and kind of sneak it in because it's a computer-controlled toaster. I think it has an app. It may not have an app. Who needs an app for a toaster? But I think the toaster was called a revolution cooking toaster. And it has a big screen on the front. It has all these kind of crazy features that it can toast perfectly and all these different settings. But the one thing it doesn't have is a feature that my toaster has that I think is a part of the reason it's a good product. And I have a toaster. It's not one of those kind of big, heavy steel Sub-Zero toasters. Those are nice. Or the, that other one that everybody used to have, the big kind of industrial type. It's a Breville, but it has a button on it that I think is cool because I use it. And it's maybe a button designed for the impatient. 
and it's called Lift and Look. So in the old days, <laughs> I would pop the toast before it was ready yeah. to see if it was done and then pop it back down because I'm kind of impatient. Or you were worried that it was over-toasting or yeah. under-toasting or whatever. This has a really simple solution for that, which is a button that says Lift and Look. You push it, it pops up, you have a gander, and it goes back down. And you feel satisfied yeah. to Fantastic. know what's going on inside of there. It's reassurance. And That's what they're selling. Yeah, it's called Lift and Look. It's on the Breville Toaster. I think it's a good feature. That's good. It's not a product, but it's a feature, but that's good. That's great. I felt inspired by that. I might get that toaster. One thing that they do here in Austria, because I wanted to bring a Euro thing, you know, and everything runs really well in Austria. It's so efficient. One thing they do, which is so great, is that a lot of the car chargers out here in Vienna don't have a cable coming out of it. It's bring your own cable. So it's yeah, just cool. a plug that you plug in. Well, you know, in the US, it's like you always have these cables and they get all tangled up and they get all broken. Here, it's just like a box where you plug in mm. your cable. So you never have That's these nice. defective cables, That's which is cool. yeah. just genius, right? It's an easy solution. I have one good product from France, and that is Pétanque. I am a big Pétanque fan. Mm. I stayed in the outskirts of Cannes, away from all the hustle and bustle. And the bulls courts there become, like when the sun goes down, everyone comes out. It's multi-generational. Everyone can play Pétanque. It's basically bocce at the end of the day. What's the difference between Pétanque and bocce? I have a bocce hey, court. Hey. Can I play Pétanque on it? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you. First of all, pétanque, the only thing you need to know about pétanque yeah. is that you play it with steel balls. And there's yeah. nothing more satisfying than the sound of two steel balls clanging against each other. But does it have to be wider or a different court shape or something like that? Yeah, it's open. The only thing I don't like field. about pétanque, and this is a more modern version of it, I'm just like a draw a line in the dirt guy and then just throw the steel balls. And now they have these little rubber circles mm. that you have to Correct. stand in. Yes. And there's different techniques I notice. Is some guys go with the, and it's mostly the guys that do this like that with the squat technique where they get real low to the ground and then everyone underhands it unless you're trying to knock the ball out then you go total area do you ever do the over the hand one like yeah this that's one? the one that, that one that's the that's, that's the, the one standard. you have to do man you backspin yeah. yeah you throw a little wooden ball yeah and that ball is called the cochonnet which means the little pig oh that's fun and it's Everything about it is great. It should be in the Olympics. I totally agree with that. And the idea that pickleball is popular, more popular than this, is idiotic. This one doesn't require much exertion, does it? That's great. Does you pickleball? can smoke and you can drink 1664s with it. And I saw some people, Pringles came out. By the way, it is a game that you can hold a glass of pastis while playing. It's fucking fantastic. You know what they it's call great. it in my country? Bowling? Curling. Wow. <laughs> That, that's Curling, more, you that's can drink frenetic. It's frenetic. Yeah. That's just, well, that's a little different. Watching it on the what because of the sweeping? Yeah, you sweep. yeah, cool. Yeah, curling involves sweeping. That's weird. I mean, it's all you optimization. Know what? My parents were doing. in a curling club when I was growing up, and they had custom sweaters, really nice ones. That's cool. By the way, curling is an incredible spectator sport. If you can go watch a curling situation, you have to go. It's the other time. reason I like pétanque is there are no set teams. There's no leagues. People just show up. And then they play pétanque, and that's it. There's but you know, no Brian, you, you know what? I got to say, what's the, there's pétanque, and the, what, what are the variations of it? Well, they're all bulls. Bulls is a category, I think. I'm like out of my, <laughs> over my skis. Which just means balls. Yeah. Here, cornhole's more popular. That's an alternative, isn't it? I At mean, my house, yeah. people like cornhole. Yeah. I like cornhole. You're more sophisticated than that, Troy. Get a bulls court. I have one. Yeah, you do. <laughs> The nice thing about cornhole is that you can set it up anywhere. You know, you don't need a specific patch of dirt. But pétanque is very satisfying. You can play it. You can kind of like play backyard That is the problem with cornhole because 
There's a lack of civil society in America, and I do worry about AI and the loneliness epidemic just making it even worse. And what I really do appreciate with the French is that they all come out, it's a very community-driven activity, and they connect, multi-generational. And I don't care if they're smoking, they're going to probably live longer and live, live happier lives because they're connecting with like other people. And I think that Americans too often like simply don't and that AI and VR and stuff like this is going to cause like major issues. I know I'm like the Andy Rooney here, but no, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's a beautiful place to end it on and a beautiful sentiment that I did miss you. And one day we'll record a podcast in Cannes while playing Pitonk. Yeah, I love it. In person. Awesome. All right. All right, let's wrap it up. You guys both look fantastic. Oh, you too. I missed you very much. You did a great episode with us. I have a South of France glow. I don't know if you noticed. Yeah. That. You get a yeah. different tan yeah, there. Right. Like my wife says, oh, yeah. she's like, your tan is different than it was in Miami. That was like a sad, weird middle-aged tan. But now you look like, you know, healthy mm -hmm, glow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You do look good, bro. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's all that secondhand cigarette smoke and oysters. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>